0: back everybody i'm here with peter defty and today we're going to chat about ofm arizona trail and just kind of living your dreams and how proper health and metabolic fun- function um helps drive that so so peter do you want to introduce yourself and uh, tell everybody what you do
1: hi i'm peter peter defty and i'm also known as the vespa guy or and the pioneer of this whole program called OFM that's starting to gain a little bit of traction. And, and I wanna clarify, it's, it's not keto. If you're not familiar with OFM, don't instantly go there to keto because while we use some aspects of the ketogenic diet uh, to, at certain times to help drive optimal fat metabolism, Uh, It's not a high fat diet. It's a fat burning diet because the whole simple elevator pitch about this is the reason humans can store a lot of fat is because that's what we're meant to burn for our aerobic metabolism. And glucose and glycogen are our fight or fight fuel. So we have robust stores of both when we use them for what they're meant to be used for. And so if you're new to Peter and Vespa and OFM and guys like Jeff Browning and Peter Mortimer and Nick Curry, and all the other people who are on this, don't think keto or paleo so much as think, oh, I've got these thousands of calories on me that I need to tap into. So yeah, that's, I pioneered that. And I'm also the general manager for Vespa Power Products, which is a totally natural catalyst to help jumpstart that. And that's a tool we use in OFM, just like we use the tool of diet, tool of supplementation, tool of exercise and and lifestyle. These are all tools. So so think about it in terms of you and your your physiology and metabolism. Um, That's what that's what I do um that's what i geek out on i do the deep dive and go down the rabbit hole so you don't have to
0: yeah you definitely have a lot of data and that's the interesting thing about about vespas it's all data back it's not some pseudoscience whatever and it's important to have that i think because there's so much misinformation or just bad information floating around the internet these days and you can kind of find anything to, to validate what you believe in but in the end it comes down to data and hard facts and what actually works
1: yeah and one of the data points we do use is we use the science of nature, not the man not just the man made lab, because you know you can produce data by setting up your experimental design and the way you want to get the results and and you know if if anything uh, that's the problem with science, and the problem is is the the average consumer when they when somebody brings out some scientifically published paper the the average consumer doesn't know. What level tier uh, journal it was published in, um, the what was the experimental design, how are the stats were done, and so um, they just assume it's valid because it's touted as science. And and I'm asking the 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 audience that next time you see something as science, step back and think on your own about it, it's because we all have that capacity to think and reason, and make sense of things. So. And I, my, my, my core is I always go back to what were those evolutionary pressures that shaped us and, and, you know, evolution, evolutionary biology, all these things make perfect sense to me. It always makes sense when I go back and that's, that's where things like Vespa, it, you know, we're harnessing the science of nature, not the man-made lab. And and this was just an, you know, an accidental discovery like penicillin or, or, many other things other breakthrough scientific discoveries they were actually just accidental discoveries observing something that went on in nature and that's what we're doing
0: and it's really fascinating it's interesting that there are like a ton of just really poor quality studies out there and it's like you're saying a lot of scientists will and it seems a little more prevalent these days or maybe we've just noticed it more these days after the whole like the whole virus thing the past couple of years But the amount of just poor quality nutritional studies and viral studies have just been like all over the place. Like there's just so many of them. And so just because you see a study that says one thing, it doesn't mean that it's necessarily accurate. It could just be these scientists that are funded by an organization or a company or a government that wants a specific outcome. And they find that outcome versus finding, I don't know, like something that could be helpful to people. They just, they find what they're supposed to find.
1: Yeah, that's precisely right and even good studies. um, Let me frame this for the audience good even good studies. The scientific studies they're really meant to help us understand something in the context of that study, because when you do good experimental design, you're actually the hypothesis is actually to try to prove yourself wrong. And that's the toughest thing because we all have confirmation bias we're all right. And so you're trying to prove yourself wrong. But you really want to prove yourself right. And you collect this data to do so. And, you know, the problem is, is you when you do that, you're looking at one aspect of a biological system. And you're trying to control all the other variables. So that's how science works. Good science, good, good experimental design. Now, think about this. How does that work in the real world where the variables are all over the map they're all dynamic and changing so it really doesn't so science is there to help us understand a certain aspect of something and unfortunately what happens is we humans try to simplify things and so all of a sudden the science uh, these studies get brought out and then there's some marketing uh around it or some bias and then all of a sudden it focuses on one thing and, and the perfect example Uh, I'll use is the faster study, um, which was done on athletes, I I actually helped to get that adapted. And it, it was pretty breakthrough, because it did get published in a very high tier journal. And it was very well done science. But the inference of faster was keto adaptation is the solution to sports performance. And you know, it really did. It really created a lot of uh, controversy when it came out. And then a lot of people who had a more carbohydrate based thing started doing keto diets to to show to see if it actually worked because the science was there. And they, they, they failed. I think uh, a guy named Matt Lane, do you know him up in Idaho?
0: The name sounds really familiar, but I don't know. him personally.
1: And a lot of other uh, guys, uh, you know, started tinkering with it. and, And we weren't getting anywhere. Well, you know, uh, the ketogenic diet or aspects of the ketogenic diet were only one part of OFM. And what people didn't know when the when faster study was being pushed out is like, oh, here, we can perform on fat just as well, was that the low-carb diet cohort, none of those guys in the real world did a strict keto diet. They only did strict keto diet during the, during the study data collection, Right. And so that was to understand the aspects of the keto diet, but in the real world, they were doing OFM. They were using Vespa. That's why they were winning races. So when people took that inference from, from the faster study and tried to do straight keto in the real world, their performance failed. You see what I'm saying? You yeah, can't definitely. Take that one thing in a study. And then all of a sudden try to bring it into the real world and think it's going to work because the real world has all these variables and like, the faster study is a perfect example. And, and that's, see, I'm not even picking on somebody in the carbohydrate side of the, the, the world. It's, it's even in, in our own fat-based camp, we're all susceptible to that sort of thing.
0: Definitely. And that's, that's a good point. Like I, I read a study and I can't remember the name or who did it or even the athletes involved, but essentially it was like, they took some marathon runners and they went from a super high carb intake, which is normal for marathon running, and they put them on a keto diet for like a week or two. like What they said was a keto diet. So they just like reduce their carbs, I think, to like 100 a day, which is not necessarily keto. And then they all had poor performances. And it's because, well, they didn't give them any time to adapt. And they're all obviously going to feel sluggish. And their times are going to drop because they go from like a high glucose diet to a high fat diet. And it's like, well, yeah, I didn't run faster. So keto's a joke. And it's like, well, you, you didn't allow time to adapt. It's not like you just took a different, you just took caffeine or something like something that just reacts immediately. And so I think it's important to look at studies and then also evaluate them and look at like, like you're saying all the variables there to, to make sure it works. And in the end too, it's like keto is a tool. Like, obviously you're going to, you're going to run faster on a bunch of sugar. Cause it's like, like, I don't know, it's like high octane race fuel versus diesel or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's
1: like, it's like hitting the nitrous oxide booster on your car. Yeah. Yeah,
0: 100%. Uh, But I think in the end, though, and like this has become a lot more prevalent on the internet now, and um, at least from things that I've seen, is that keto, like you are saying when we first started, is more of a tool versus an actual just like diet for the rest of your life. It's like going carnivore for a while. Like, yeah, it might have a lot of good, your body might react really well to it and might fix a lot of things. But in the end, though, it's probably not beneficial just to eat just beef and salt every day. Like you can add in other things and that can... Um, optimize your fat metabolism and and fix things and then you can become stronger from it and then you could be eating like fruit or honey or like dairy or something
1: absolutely absolutely you know and and let's just briefly swing over to the carbohydrate side of it um because one of the best studies to ever come out were the the studies out of sweden on carb loading the original carb loading studies Mm -hmm. and those were done in the early 60s i believe and it, in, in, when they did those studies, what they did was they took young male competitive athletes and they put them through a mild, not a keto, but a mild carb restriction for a couple of weeks and then loaded them the last three days. Now, remember, context means everything. And the context was, this was the early 60s. And back in the 50s and 60s, Until Ancel Keys and the the cholesterol, red meat, saturated fat heart hypothesis came out. It was just well known and well pushed that, that, you know, athletes ate things like steak and eggs and liver, you know, they may not like the liver, but they ate liver every two weeks and they, you know, steak and eggs were a staple with athletes and, you know, sure. They had plenty of carbs in their diet but they also had plenty of meat and plenty of fat. They weren't on a low fat, high carb diet. And so they took these guys who were young, young competitive males. So high testosterone, which covers up a whole lot of sins uh, and they're competitive and they put them through a mild carb restriction, which if they're already athletic, they're already pretty metabolically fit. They weren't eating super high carb to where they had to eat every two or three hours. And they put them through a mild carb restriction which is usually what happens when somebody's already somewhat adapted and then they give them and it works and that's exactly what we do in OFM so in the context of that it worked but then everybody saw that thing oh you're low with carbs you go faster well then all of a sudden it's like you eat carbs on top of carbs all the time and then all those unintended consequences of insulin hormonal imbalance creep in the lack of nutrition because you're burning glucose all the time and you're not burning fat, i.e. cholesterol for all the things you need to have healthy, strong cells, all that stuff started to creep in because people were taking that study and applying the main point about carb loading to everything in the life. You know, if a little is good, more is better. The American way, right? (laughs) You know, super. And so it's all about context. And that's what people, that's the really, the big take home is science is scientific studies are there to help us understand a certain aspect of what we're studying. And then, but applying that is a, is a very different thing. And that's, that's kind of what we do at OFM. We, we apply it and get the real world results. And, you know, as you know, we're backing it up with data um, on those results. We're not doing science. I'm, I'm going to be doing, I'm going to be engaging a couple of academics to do uh, take some of that data and, and we'll do some, uh scientific methodology like double blind placebo controlled testing so we can do a study or he can do a study independent of me but we're going to continue to collect data to back up those real world experiences including the ones you're seeing
0: definitely and just just speaking of data and scientific studies again the whole like the seven country studies by Ansel Keys has been debunked so many times it's so laughable but it's still very prominent in nutritional literature and like the yeah and the inference
1: inference of it that you know cholesterol and saturated fat are going to kill you and red meat are going to kill you the inference of it is just remains pervasive
0: yeah which is insane because one he cherry-picked data to to back himself up he did more than seven countries and just cherry-picked the countries that would back up his hypothesis which goes back to what we talked to initially um, at the start of this conversation but then two it's just kind of like Well, if meat and cholesterol is so bad or they're so bad for you, how did all these civilizations for the past thousands and thousands and hundreds of thousands of years, how do they not all have heart disease and cholesterol like we're supposed to have or high cholesterol from eating meat? Like it it makes no sense. Like you can look at these like hunter gatherer tribes that eat mainly meat and like just animal products and they don't have high cholesterol, they don't have heart disease. And so obviously something we're doing now is wrong and it's not meat. And these animal products, yet yeah, they've been demonized for who knows which reason. Like you could go off on a million theories about it, but in the end, this is kind of insane that people would say that, like, hey, don't eat something that came from nature and's been eaten for millions of years. And I'm not saying anything natural is necessarily healthy, but yeah. things that have been proven to be healthy for thousands and thousands of years, like it's like okay, that's common sense that we should be eating those and not some like lab made garbage or just taking supplements every day or trying to be like vegan or something because that's Supposed to be healthy now, or something. It's like, how yeah, do their bodies change?
1: That's exactly right. You know, we're supremely healthy. You know, our evolutionary pressures gave us the genetics to be supremely healthy. I mean, that's one thing people, all of us, need to understand. We all have that genetic pool that got us here, had to be robust. Okay. That, you know, that genetic pool of what makes you, you, and your DNA. That got you here. What got you here was robust gene pool, and unless you bo- you're, you know you have some sort of b- genetic defect you were born with, which is you know a, a, a minuscule part of the population, you've got you've got the genetic pool to be robust. But that same, like I was saying earlier, that same benefit can also be your undoing in today's world um those same genes will turn on you um if they're not used right and um part of the thing is is like when you look at people like the Maasai or their still nomadic cousins the Hudsu you're right they're on a they're on a diet that's high in fat and protein and and not a lot of carbohydrates and very on occasion there's carbohydrates but not a lot but they all enjoy robust health they have no um modern healthcare care or modern dental care. And yet, you know, they live well into their seventies on average, if they make it past that first couple of years of childbirth. Um, and it, it's just, it's just like, how does that happen? And, and one of the things is, is our bodies are supremely efficient. So we're very active and we're, you know, we're, we're, we're evolved to be very active. And once you get that nutritional balance, right. The amount of food you eat is very little. And the, that's a big problem today because we do too little and we have too easy access to way too many calories and too much nutrition. So, you know, it's like I say, the, you know, you, and we're not going to let's, we, we want to bring some reality. This whole thing about killing your hunger, we can manage it and attenuate it. But the reason we have a hunger trigger And that goes doubly for women because they're meant to eat and save for two. Um, The reason we have a hunger trigger is because that's what got us off our butts to go hunt and gather. And, and that's the thing to get food. It also required a lot of physical activity. And, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a person who believes in this feast or famine hypothesis uh, for most of the population throughout most of human existence. I'm, I'm a believer in the feasting and fasting model because when you look at the journals of explorers when they came to North America or went to went to Africa and even today when people go into eastern Russia or Mongolia or these relatively uninhabited lands game was plentiful I mean it just it was it was crazy how much game was there. You know, the, you talk about the Plains Indians when they, uh, when, when they, uh, when the explorers here, they say that the Plains would turn black with buffalo. You know, it's like it wasn't, it wasn't a problem in terms of food supply, it was the harvesting of that food that took a lot of energy. And, and, and so, what I, I want to bring this home to today's world, what I found is when you get that nutritional balance of what I call whole animal eating, some people call it nose to tail. Um, when you get that balance of nutrition right even even though i'm a big proponent of animal foods and i have a bias to eating meat i like it um, i have to say the amount of animal products you need to eat when you have that balance right is is so small it's scary
0: yeah it's it's kind of wild like I just, I don't remember when it was. exactly. I was just thinking of like a certain experience where I ate a bunch of just like refined carbohydrates and like I ate like a lot. I ate like $20 worth of just stuff. And at the end of end of eating it, I was like, wow, I probably just ate like 2000 calories and I'm still hungry. And then I can go buy like a half a pound of steak and eat that. And I'm like, okay, like I, f- I feel pretty good because there's like actual density to it versus That's right. just Your body's stuff. not
1: hunting for the food. And And here's the thing. When you look at, when you frame this, in the context of the environment we evolved in everything makes the physiology and metabolism make perfect sense because it's like it's perfect it was designed perfectly for our evolution for our natural environment because you know when you think about it when fruit was ripe and berries are ripe or tubers are ripe or we found honey those were brief sporadic events during the year you know three to five times a year right and when those things were ripe, you had to eat as much as you could of that no-risk food source before it started to ferment and rot. And so that, that mechanism, that physiological metabolic mechanism of eating a ton of carbs, passing out from the, the, the blood sugar drop when the insulin hits, right? You pass out, and then you wake up an hour later, and you're, you're bloated. You feel like crap, but guess what? You're still hungry, <laughs>
0: Right. exactly that. It, it's like it
1: makes total sense in that context like it, it really rigged us to be able to to be efficient and then a day or two after two or three days of hunting of gathering berries or eating fruit we went back to fasting and and hunting animals and so it, it just it just it's a beautiful perfect mechanism in the environment that shaped us as humans But in the environment today that we we man-made created, it's turned into a disaster.
0: Yeah, essentially we're just in berry picking season 24-7, 365. Right, that's
1: right. And it's like I say, when you think about it, we're really robust. So in this in that evolutionary time that shaped us, we had concentrated forms of carbohydrates three to five times a year, not three to five times a day for decades, which is exactly what most people are doing now. And this is where our robustness has been has kind of gone sideways um in terms of that and then of course it we push ourselves way over the edge of that robustness to where you know you see all these diseases and things pop up and and now you know we've dumbed down health to where it's it's um you know what we consider as healthy is really unhealthy i mean i think you know when you know people look at um, people like us, or more more specifically, somebody like Jeff Browning, um, as as an outlier, you know. And I think Zach Bitter has a podcast called Human Outliers. And I sit there and think about it. it's like, no, nobody's an outlier. Nobody there's there's these aren't outliers. This is what normal should be. We we all can be. We shouldn't think of these people as outliers. We should think of these people as this is what normal should be, and this is what we should aspire to.
0: Yeah, which which is wild when you think about it, because something like ten percent of the American population is metabolically healthy. And which is insane because then you look at people like like browning or bittering, like, oh, you guys are freaks of nature. And it's like, well, they're just how we're supposed to be, like you're saying. Like they're not drinking alcohol every day. They're not just eating three to four thousand calories of just carbohydrates every day.
1: Or three it, or four pounds of meat of steak. Yeah. Right. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Like there's a lot of balance there. And I think that's what with OFM is the main thing. And like throughout all human history, it's all been about this balance. But now where everything's so easy, it's like there's never any sort of balance where it's just like, okay, yeah. what's the easiest and what's the most like rewarding, quote unquote. And it's like, yeah, well, you just go buy candy and whatever and see things are like super palatable and just they taste super good. But then it's like you can just eat them all day and there's zero nutritional density in them, and then it just degrades your health over time because you're not getting you're not getting a real protein, you're not getting a real fat, you're not getting like, does anything really? It's just right, and it's, and it's
1: and you, shifting your metabolism to glucose metabolism, which is just yeah. energy production, whereas fat metabolism is a much more complex and nuanced thing. And, and that's the thing, it's like all our cells, our hormones, our enzymes, everything about us is made on fat metabolism. It's, it's lipid metabolism, cholesterol. Cholesterol is a fat-packed, molecule with proteins and all these other elements in it and so the more you push glucose metabolism that fight or flight fuel it's crisis management it's like you're meant to burn that for those big pushes and surges when you have to um you know because it's it's essentially been designed into us to get away from the tiger when it jumps out of the bush or be able to either defend ourselves or fight when you're raiding another tribe. Um, you know, it's that sporadic thing And it, but it, when you burn a lot of glucose, you're just making energy. You're not making all the other elements And this, this, we actually saw in the 2012 Western state study, which is the study that never got published, but actually was the principal, um, Driver of the faster study. And, and that was the data of, of the, the fatty acid cheek cell uh, swabs they did with the two cohorts the traditional carbohydrate fueled Western States runners and then the OFM Vespa runners. Um, their, the recovery was just night and day between the two groups because the, these guys had fat metabolism. Their, their cells bounced back, right back from all that oxidative stress of running 100 miles.
0: Yeah, like look at look at Jeff uh, Browning. Like after he did uh, rim, to rim, to rim, to rim, whatever five rims, <laughs> double yeah, rim, how rim many to rim. rims he did? Yeah, <laughs> it, it's a it's a lot of rims. Um, after he did that, like he recovered fairly quickly. Obviously, he's he's eating properly and doing some cross right after, and he's he crushed it right after. He ran Hard Rock to I think fifth well, place. he did is what Scout, it
1: Mountain, Scout Mountain? Oh yeah, then he then did Scout Mountain set the, set the course record.
0: Yeah, and then we Hard have, Rock.
1: Get this, Derek. And this is the the robustness of evolution again. I took a look at Jeff's ultra running, uh, ultra sign up uh, data. And from last year's hard rock, which was July 16th to this year's hard rock, which was July 15th. Okay. So one year to one year. Okay. A year to year, starting with last year's hard rock and ending with this year's hard rock. He Mm -hmm. finished fifth in both, both of them. So, Top five for uh, probably, arguably the hardest mountain hundred in the world. He's, you know, he's on the podium at 50, right? Okay, so he was doing some sort of epic big event eight times in that year. So every six weeks, he was doing something big, all right? that's how that's how that's the thing and and that correlates with the data I've seen over the years, coaching athletes between five and seven weeks, they're peaking again for the next event because they not only recover faster, but they get the super compensation or the training effect from that event that makes them stronger, more ro- robust to get them peaking for the next event
0: Yeah, and I think that's that's the main thing, um, at least for me though it like, kind of got me into. I don't know. I just diets always been interesting to me, but like like eating the OFM style, and using keto as a tool and whatever. And I'm by far no means an expert, like like browning or bitter or something. But but like eating that way and like focusing on diet and these other like it's more like like primal type things, I guess that fit our biology. It's like you're able to do more, and like that's that's the main thing that that draws me to, it. and I think other people is like. If you eat properly, you can train harder, but then you can also recover faster, which means you can do more cool stuff. Like, when you look at like marathon runners, they generally do like what two to three marathons a year at their full potential. And then they're just kind of done they're either training or just recovering a lot. But then, if with Brownings doing like something big every six weeks, like you're saying, it's like that has a lot to do with eating properly and recovering properly because like most people can't run that many hundreds or big efforts in a year it's just going to destroy you it's like you have like one or two big events a year and then a bunch of smaller ones that lead up to it so i think just all, all i'm getting at is that like eating properly and working out properly means you can you can train harder you can recover faster and you can do more cool stuff which i think is what we all want to do in life whether that's running 100-milers or longer like ultra endurance cycling events or even just like being healthy to hang out with your family as you age like like your knees don't hurt and your body doesn't hurt because you're actually healthy
1: yeah and that's that supreme fish you know, i just pulled up his ultra sign up stuff so last year's hard rock fifth place then september 11th he did Mongol on monster and won that um then he did blood rock in december won that uh then he did sean o'brien 100k uh, was second overall there. Um, And then he did three days of Asilomo, won the 50k and won the overall. Um, And then um, he did Scout, then he did the rim to rim to rim, right? That you Mm -hmm. filmed in April.
0: Yeah.
1: And then he did Scout Mountain won that set a course record and then he did hard rock now you know not even jim walmsley uh is competing that much you know you see you see what i'm saying yeah totally. that it's that's 20 years younger than jeff can't have that kind of turnaround and, and yeah you know, and, and jim is supremely gifted i mean he's dedicated he's got the genetics he's got the the you know you look at him run and he's like a freaking gazelle
0: right yeah and and he definitely lives by a high carb diet and he promotes it and whatever and and it works for him as far as training but i think a lot of people wonder like how long that's going to last for like how many high mileage weeks can you put in just eating like just essentially pure carbohydrates on a, a low protein or a lower fat diet and obviously it's working like he's running new right now. And like, I'm not following the updates. They just started 45 minutes ago, I think, but I'm sure he's doing well. Like He's, he dedicates his life and Jim is like, he's a very dedicated person. Like he focuses on something and, and goes for it, but it kind of makes you wonder though, like if he could compete more potentially, if he changed his diet around, or if maybe according to his genetics and biology that works for him. But, but I, I don't really know, obviously, like I'm never going to be at Jim's level of, of racing or running, but it um the diet side of it is pretty interesting just to compare and contrast jeff yeah, who's now I, 51 i don't
1: want to knock anybody here but you know yeah. we're not here to knock you because jim is just he's on, you know he's on another planet but you know in for ultra running yeah because of his genetics he's got that little bit of edge but every one of us you know our genetic material is pretty much the same up to like 99 percent. it's that mm-hmm. that little one percent difference you know height weight build whatever that gives it but then you you have to add in those 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 variables of dedication you know what was your what was your environment growing up what was your all kinds of things that Mm -hmm. that that play into this but let's let's kind of get back on on track about this thing what i wanted to say is like you know you get very efficient when you get that nutritional balance in place and, and all that and that kind of leads me to to, you know, you approached me about this, doing this epic adventure of, of, of hiking the Arizona trail and not, not trying to set an FKT, but just run hiking it and filming it and really capturing the experience and, and um, you know, how, you know, being fat adapted, OFM fat adapted, where you're really optimized. So you're in that balance where you don't need a whole lot of calories makes it you know, easy. Tell me, tell me more about that.
0: Yeah. Do you want to hear more specifically about the trail or nutrition right, the Trail, so the or... whole
1: thing. I want to I want to hear about the whole experience because it's 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 that's why I wanna that's why I wanted when you reached out, um uh I said sure I'd be I'd be happy to support this because this is the kind of thing I not only want you to experience, but by filming it, you can bring that to others, but also it'll inspire other people to to do the kind of things they're going to do like um you know a week from saturday i'm going to do ray lakes loop in a day and that's a that's a 44 mile up to 12,000 feet um elevation tough run hike but and you can do it in a day it's usually a three to five day backpack but um we do it in a day run and and it's a long day but it's 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 epic but it's nothing like spending a month on the arizona trail or the or several months on the pct like a lot of people do
0: yeah definitely and yeah so the arizona trail just for context um it just traverses the whole state north to south or south to north i guess depending which way you go um, generally in the fall people go north to south for for better weather um as it does start fairly high well it starts on the the utah border um with arizona and then cuts all the way through and ends up on the mexican border um, so what
1: are, the t- what are the closest towns on each
0: end? So on the Northern side, it'd be Kanab, Utah or Fredonia. Um, I guess technically Grand Canyon village is closer, <laughs> but, uh, there's a giant Canyon in the middle of that. Um,
1: there's a giant ditch you have to traverse.
0: Yeah. A giant ditch. Um, yeah. So most people kind of base out of Kanab and, um, it's just, um, there's a whole bunch of popular trails and stuff around there. Um, but yeah, it starts at a campground there on the border, um, cuts up through the Kaibab Plateau. Um, to the North Rim trailhead of the Grand Canyon. So that's about mile 80 or so. And then you traverse the canyon, just like a rim to rim. Um, you hit Grand Canyon Village and you go south to Flagstaff and then through Pine, Arizona, which is where Jeff ran Muggy on Monster right, last year, the year before or something. Um, and then you traverse down into more of the desert area at that point. You kind of drop off these plateaus and you, you go You're going from... to Sedona? No, you don't. It goes more on the eastern side. Um, where okay. Sedona's more west oh okay, um, yeah gotcha yeah so you drop off that plateau and you so you go from like these higher altitude well, not necessarily altitude it's six 000, seven thousand feet so it's a lot higher and cooler than um say the rest of it but then once you drop down in the roosevelt lake area which is in in the saguaros and like legitimate desert um and then you start making your way towards tucson then you hit all the sky islands which are these like little mountain ranges that are just kind of like they're islands technically, I guess. Like in the desert of just like high altitude points. So like you go over Mount Lemon, which is um, just under ten thousand feet.
1: Do do you um, do you uh, before you get to Mount Lemmon, Do you uh, go through the superstitions?
0: Because you're gonna uh, be going to be yes, you of, do. That's, of, you're, that's by you're, the Roswellic east era.
1: of Phoenix, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. So you go through there, which is a super cool wilderness area. Like I've ran out there a few times, and and every time I've done it, it's always been cooler and wet for some reason, and it definitely won't be when I start this year, but. It's a really beautiful area and um, it's just really, really cool. And you and then you hit um, like Tucson area, which is where I live. And we run like those trails all the time. And like I ran a 50K on part of the AZT last year. And so then you, you, come
1: to, you come down through Oracle before you hit the Catalinas?
0: Um, yes, sort of. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. And so then you get up there and you hit the mountain ranges. So you kind of go from like up high down low. So it's a little bit of like hot and cold type stuff. And then you go through Patagonia area, which is a little small town, which is super fun. It's like right on the trail, small little detour. And then, um, yeah, then you end up at the Mexican border. So it's an 800-ish mile trail. Um, goes through mountains, desert, and kind of everything. So I think a lot of people think of Arizona as just, just straight up desert with saguaros and coyotes and stuff. But it, it, the trail is really diverse, and it causes a lot of issues for people because they assume like, oh, it's just going to be hot the whole time. But like when you're at the North Rim, you're at like 9,000 feet. And then suddenly you drop down to the canyon and it's hot. And then you're up in the plateau and it's it's cooler, but then you drop down to the desert. So you get a lot of a lot of flat and a lot of mountains and a lot of temperature changes in that whole time. And I've been kind of intrigued with it for a long time. Like I remember watching some video about a girl that did it, like I don't even know, like maybe 10 years ago. And I was just like, well, like what is this? Like that's crazy because I've only had ever heard of the PCT and the AT at that point. And it's like oh there's all these other smaller like well, shorter trails quote-unquote it's still an 800 mile trail and um it's just a it's just a cool area and it's like it's just kind of where i live and um, i've always kind of lived in this area it really fascinated me and so i did in the past attempted t- a couple times for an fkt and just had random issues that happened and and a friend of mine was telling me, like well why don't you just just go for it like just just go hike it like just through hike it and i'm like that actually sounds really fun like
1: but well, that was when you did those attempts where you fat adapted at that point or were you still, no, I was eating
0: garbage. Like, which is typical of like the through hiking community. Like, like it's, it's funny that like, when you look up stuff online, it was like, Oh, well, just calories for your buck. And it's like, well, yeah, you can eat top ramen. It's super light and has calories in it, but you feel like garbage. You perform like garbage, you recover slowly. And so you're just like deteriorating every day versus eating like proper uh, yeah. food. Like you can feel good every day. And You don't feel like crap, like that's really what it comes down to. Like you feel stronger, you recover better, you sleep better. You're not going to deal with stomach issues and you're eating less throughout the day as well. So it's like one less thing to worry about. Like you can put in some fat and some some food and like you're kind of good to go.
1: Well, let's let's talk a little bit. Let me unpack that a little bit because, you know, top ramen is actually a pretty good race fuel for a race. You know, that occasional use, right? Mm -hmm. Because it's got a lot of carbs and it's got a lot of salt.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: but like you say you're using a day and after day to hike it's you you start it's just going to degrade you um
0: yeah and-, and that's the thing with hiking too is like you're never you're rarely at like this high high output it's just a lot of like lower fat burning miles and it's like yeah if you are hitting a climb or something yeah your heart rate's going to go up but like you're just cruising dirt roads which is honestly like there's quite a big portion of the azt that's just a lot of like flatter dirt roads like your heart rate's not at 160, like it's, it's pretty low, honestly. So it's more of just grinding through miles and you don't need to be eating straight sugar for that the entire time. It doesn't make any sense.
1: Yep. 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 The other thing that's interesting, and I don't know if you've had that experience yet, but I know when I do these big, big days in the Sierras, by the afternoon I get into this, this zone of hyper fat burn. Mm -hmm. Where like i feel on my body feels on my mind feels on and and as long as i got my vespa and my salt and my water i'm solid i've got candy on me because i always carry a couple hundred calories of candy you know like bit of honey jolly ranchers loco chas which is this mexican candy i really like um because it's got it's got a ball it's it's a hard candy with a with a a ball of chili and salt in the middle
0: Oh, nice. See, that yeah. sounds very Mexican. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, or, or Asian. Anyway, but I'll, I'll get in this state, this hyper state. And I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but this, you just, you're just like totally on and focused and you're moving along. It's not like you're, it's not like you're running a, a 50K, but it's not a, it's, it's really like hundred mile race pace.
0: Yeah. It's kind of like a flow state, right? Like yeah. You're not totally just going to crashes and you're just kind of focused and ready to go. And it's cool.
1: Yeah, it's like you say. You don't all of a sudden you're just not your eating becomes what, what I don't want to eat. I I want to get the I want to crank out the miles.
0: Yeah, and that's it's interesting. Like, um, just listening to other like through hikers that are a lot more experienced than I am, it's like they're like, okay, like I'm gonna do 200 calories an hour on the hour. Like they just they just have it on their watches. Like I got to eat, I got to eat, I got to eat. But if you're more fat adapted, you can have like a larger like meal in the morning. Like I'm doing carnivore bars and keto bricks, um, for like a large portion of my calories. And those are high fat, high protein bars. And it's like, you kind of eat one, and you're just kind of good. It's like the keto bricks have a thousand calories in them with like a hundred grams of fat or something. Like it's pretty high. And yeah. the carnivore bars are less cause they're just, they're literally just meat and tallow and the ones I have, have honey on them. But like, they're, they're super good and you just feel good. And you don't have to worry about eating. Like you just feel good and you're not constantly chilling. And like, I think like oh, an interesting thing with like through hiking is long distance running attempts as well as like just dental hygiene. If you're eating snicker bars five times a day, like your oh, teeth are going to feel disgusting. Like I can't even imagine, honestly just eating candy like that all day, every day. And and then just, like, it sounds awful. Like I just, Well,
1: I and you get, you get a lot of inflammation just in the eating of sugar and the insulin response, but then mm-hmm. the other secondary infl- inflammation, which is a low level inflammation that actually has been, very well tied to type two diabetes and and heart disease is the the inflammation you get if you eat a lot of sugar you end up with a lot of bacteria in your gums Mm -hmm. you end up with a lot of inflammation and and which eventually goes to periodontal diseases you know um and and that's you know it's just it's just a cascade of of stuff and and you know it's not it's okay to have you know the odd carb here and there but but if you're, if you're living off of it to get to your next mile, it's, it's, you know, it's just not right.
0: Yeah. And and this is going to sound super, maybe this is like TMI for some people. A lot of people are, I don't know. They don't want to hear about dental hygiene, but like the more you just eat, like, like a more like ancestral diet of just like meat and fat and less refined carbohydrates and less sugars and things like your mouth honestly just feels cleaner every day. Like there are some days where I'm just like, oh, I don't want to brush my teeth because I don't feel like I need to. Like you don't, you go to bed at night and you don't feel like you have crap all over your teeth. And I still do obviously like twice a day, but like you, you don't feel the need necessarily as much. But if you ate like a, like a pound of gummy bears, like you feel that on your teeth. If you have like a Red Bull and a Snickers, you're like, oh crap. Like my teeth feel like they're going to just fall out of my head.
1: Yeah. I know. Like they're like, they're dissolving. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, No, it's interesting. You mentioned that and that brings up something that if if anybody out there is listening, they should get a copy of Nutrition and Degenerative Disease by Weston A. Price, dentist, DDS. And Weston Price was a dentist in the 20s and 30s of the last century. And he was, he wrote a bunch of textbooks, the guy was brilliant, but he went all over the world to study primitive cultures to, to learn more about what was the root cause of Uh, dental caries and gum disease all periodontal diseases okay and what he found to a point of what exactly what you're saying and going back to this evolutionary model is these so-called primitive people whether they were in eastern europe like in the mountains of switzerland you know these isolated groups of people who are still living their ancestral lives that they've been living for millions of years if not or thousands of years if not millions of years they didn't have dental hygiene they didn't brush teeth and guess what they had they not only had no dental caries and dental disease but they also had full mouths. they didn't have teeth crowding Mm -hmm. they didn't have all these problems for braces and he he attributed this to what he called the the foods of modern commerce and he even had like twins on the jersey island islands and you know off of england he had twins and one was on the ancestral diet the traditional diet of the jersey islanders and one was on the foods of modern commerce and you could see just by the pictures he took of the teeth and mouth the difference
0: yeah and like if you look at like these like the Hadza and these other groups of Uh, the
1: Inuits, everybody yeah yeah
0: and they, they call them like primitive or whatever but it's like they all have perfect teeth right and it's like they're all white teeth perfect teeth like you're saying like a full mouth where it's fully put together teeth are straight yeah, the and strong teeth
1: aren't crowding
0: yep yeah and then you look at like just any other like western culture where we're apparently so advanced but all our teeth are jacked up you have to go to the dentist all the time get your teeth clean you get braces wisdom teeth removals and like these people never even think about it because they just don't eat crap every day
1: right and and you know the it, so it's a it's uh and and so you know, if anybody can get a copy of that, you don't even have to read the book. All you have to do is look at the pictures. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All you yeah, have to do is look at the pictures.
0: Those pictures are worth thousands of words, for sure.
1: Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> they're they're to a point about that's that's some co- corroborating uh, scientific evidence for what you're actually experiencing, and that and that that brings up a good point I want to talk about in in relation to your project with the AZT is one of the things I, I coach a lot of people on is to trust themselves. I mean, it's great we've got all this technology and all this ability to take data, but I see people are so hyper-focused that they're chasing the data. So they've got their Garmin or their Coros or whatever the latest devices to GPS track them and take all their data. They've got, you know, they've got their aura ring, they've got their continuous glucose monitor and they're chasing all these numbers so they can get it perfect and and, and biology doesn't work work like that it's, it's pretty fungible when you got the right metabolic health and you're doing most of the things right i mean and, and that's that's kind of a, a real thing it's like you know i'm a pilot and i've done a fair amount of flying in my my career but i never made it a career but i you know i used actually in a former life i was a test pilot for a while and um one of the things that's real basic when you're teaching somebody how to fly that is called chasing the instruments. And it's like, you're supposed to fly to a certain altitude and then hold that altitude. Well, the way it's done is like when you're learning it, it's just like learning to do dance dance steps. You're all left hand, left feet and all this stuff. But people chase the instruments because they're looking at that 10,000 foot elevation they're supposed to climb to or 10,005 and they're trying to hold it. And all they do by, by focusing on the numbers and the data, is they never get it right they're always either too high or too low and i see the same sort of thing with people um, over relying on their devices rather than trusting their own native intuition um, once you have your metabolism and physiology right and you've got the right guidance it's a pretty powerful tool and then what happens is like i say the data corroborates the experience
0: yeah, I totally agree. And I think it's super easy to get lost in the weeds here with things because like, you can go on YouTube and look up OFM or keto or something. You're going to find millions, I don't know how many videos are, just countless videos ab- about keto and diet. And they're all going to tell you different things and all these different studies and fruit is bad, fruit is good, meat is bad, meat is good, blah, 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 blah. But I think in the end, it just comes down to like not eating a bunch of just refined seed oils and processed, overly processed carbohydrates. Obviously things are processed to a certain extent. Yeah, yeah. you eat real food that'll
1: rot, eat real food that'll go bad on you.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like things without, or like one ingredient in them, which is like berries (laughs) or meat, that sort of thing. And and you're going to feel good. And then it's like, that's going to cure probably like 90% of people's issues. then you can start digging deep and trying to fine tune things, but It's like, just if you're going to be eating Taco Bell every day and it's like, well, I'm taking this one supplement. So suddenly I'm going to have like this amazing diet or performance. It's like, that's not going to happen. It's like the whole thing is just have a strong base of eating well. And then you add in things like, okay, I'm going to, I don't know, I'm going to fast today. And then whatever, I'm going to use Vespa. I'm going to use these tools. I'm going to use keto as a tool to optimize your health. And just doing keto itself is not going to make you healthy you can eat garbage keto and like, yeah, you might drop weight, but you're not going to be metabolically healthy.
1: Well, yeah. And and you can eat keto. And if you're, if you're eating too many calories, you're still going to gain weight.
0: Exactly. Yeah.
1: Problems. And, you know, and that's the thing, like with OFM, what we're doing is we're not only providing the nutritional balance and getting you in either a eu caloric, which means calories in calories out, calorie balance, energy balance, or, you know, a calorie deficit if you need to lose some weight but we're also building metabolic capacity and that's the big thing keto because they don't push the exercise enough you're always going to be on a restrictive diet to carbohydrates because you never build the metabolic capacity to have the metabolic flexibility to to be able to have carbs and not have it throw you off the wagon
0: yeah exactly and i think there's been a lot of evolution in the keto community where they've kind of realized that at least that's at least from like the communities that I follow within that, like the sub communities anyways, but they've kind of realized, okay, like keto is a tool and like, it may not be the best long-term. Like a lot of people like don't sleep well when they do keto for months and months and months. But if you do keto for a month and then cycle in some carbs or even weekly, like five days on two days off or something, it can really help like with your body to optimize like fat as a fuel, but also be able to tap into carbohydrates when you need them.
1: Yeah. And that's the thing. is like carbohydrates can actually this is why I call it optimized fat metabolism, not keto, because um, ketosis ke- ketones are really a byproduct. But but you need the carbohydrates because the carbohydrates will give you that little push to challenge your your system, right? And you, yeah. the, the human body, the bi- in biology, you're you know it's all behavioral. It's all based on behavior and adaptation. So when you get these signals your body's going to react to it. If you're sedentary, it's not going to get that signal. And it's going to, the signal it's actually getting by not doing anything is senescence, which means you're, you're, you're going downhill. You're sliding downhill towards that eventual end. We're all going to face you're telling Mm -hmm. your body. Yeah. So that's the signal you get. So your body gets lazy. You get less mitochondria, you get less capacity. And that's why you have to be on a very restrictive diet. Now, but when you challenge yourself you build mitochondria you build capacity and then the carbs are good for giving you that jump to go over and just a little not chronic but just a little carbohydrate here and there um will build that capacity to the point where once you're built up and you probably know this now you could eat a bunch of sushi one night and all it's going to do is make you go out and run fast the next day
0: yeah i mean, uh, definitely have noticed that too like if i'm like super strict and like monitoring things and like with my carbohydrates and my diet and stuff. And then like I quote unquote carb load. Like I feel like I've been saying quote unquote a lot. But <laughs> if I like uh, yeah yeah eat a bunch of carbs as in like a bunch of fruit or something the night before a longer run like I feel really good in the morning. I don't even feel like I need to eat in the morning. And generally like if I eat before a run I have some sort of stomach distress. And so not being or not being forced to eat a bunch of stuff before a race or um a workout like I, I just feel good and optimal. And so you're totally right there. So your body's able to to use the fat and the carbs and I think any sort of endurance athletes going to have some sort or some sort of base level of fat burning. Um, It's all about optimizing it. Like you're saying.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, we could go down a million rabbit holes, which we're not going to do today about all the secondary and tertiary benefits that are as significant. They're just not obvious uh, in terms of building that metabolic capacity to get sort of the numbers we're seeing, which is, You know guys like jeff and peter who are living at seven thousand feet um really doing everything pretty much what right you know they're pushing peak fat oxidation well over two grams a minute Mm -hmm. you know and that's that's data nobody else has ever seen faster they got up to 1.78 with john rutherford and he and i have talked for years about how we knew with vespa and ofm by adding in all the other components of ofm we could go over two grams and then jeff Jeff got it, and I got it with another guy several years ago. And then we start, we started talking about this and and getting some more data. And then finally this this year we we started to collect data. And I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna organize another round uh, again this winter in Phoenix. And you know I'd like to have you test out. And um, you know we we and we're gonna test it on a bunch of different other people too, just to get a sort of a baseline. Um, because there is some independent testing that I didn't do that was totally independent, um, where after they saw Jeff was able to go over two grams a minute on Vespa, they tested a bunch of other athletes, including vegans, all kinds of diets, all kinds of stuff. And they saw that the Vespa actually boosted fat metabolism by anywhere between a half a gram a minute to a full gram
0: a minute. Yeah, which is pretty wild. And it, it sounds, it doesn't sound real. But then when you see the data, like the data show that and you can't necessarily argue it, with that. And yeah, it's, it's, it doesn't
1: sound real, but like you know, Jeff knows, Peter knows. It's like yeah, it works, but there's no data to support it, but it works for me. Or Nick's, you know, like Nick, Nick, he thought it was thought it was totally bogus. Yeah, you know, until he tried it, and it's like it's working, and now it's good that there's data behind it that's showing that okay, yeah, what I feel. But that's what it goes back to. I say is like, you know, that's the thing, it's like Here's something that works and is shown to work for all these people for so long, but the first thing the the skeptical say is where's the science? And all of a sudden say well, and then everybody gets doubts about whether it's working or not.
0: Yeah, and what's also interesting too is that you're talking about like this high amount of fat burn and stuff, and so you're essentially just using like the fat you have on your body as a fuel source, which is just from your diet and in your body. But I was talking to a friend the other day, he was asking, he's, he's done a little bit of like OFM and keto type stuff. And we're just DMing on Instagram about some stuff. And he's like, oh, I'd like to try Vespa, but this is so expensive. It's like, well, if you, if you, uh, like, I don't know if you eat properly and then you use Vespa, you're not buying like 10 spring gels for every run. And right. it's like, I've seen people go on long runs and like, in springs now are like, like 350 a piece. So if you're eating much of those on a run, like your run cost goes up like crazy, but if you can do that on like one or two Vespa, like, yeah, it's only like 10 bucks or whatever it is, versus the $35 for, for all those springs or all those goos or something. Right,
1: right, right. The cost, the, co- the actual cost in use is not that much. It might be a little higher. It might be even. That's what people say. But people like yeah. you or Jeff who get it, it's like I've had people who are you know paying customers, they're paying full retail. Once they get on the program and they get it all right, they say, I'm saving money because I'm not eating a bunch of food. I eat fresh food. You know, I teach them, I teach people how to shop to save money, and it actually works out to be cheaper. And then that's just in dollar amounts, not just yeah. the, the the priceless health and performance benefits you get from it. Because, you know, you can do OFM on the cheap, including the Vespa and the supplements. Because I've been doing this for years, and we've been losing money, so I've had to be resourceful. But it's basically, you know, you learn to shop shop the supermarkets on their weekly ads because they they use you know like things like meat poultry and fish is loss lead. what they call loss leaders mm-hmm. to pull people into the store every week and so you you shop the you shop the the loss leaders and then you get the produce and the produce in season those are all what they call loss leaders because they, mm-hmm. they get them in get people in there to buy and then then people buy all the, the really high margin crap, like the cereal and the crackers and the the stuff (laughs) in the inner aisles, not the, 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 around the edge of it. And so you can, you can actually do, you know, is it going to, is it going to cost you more than say a beans and rice and pasta high carb diet? Yeah. But it's going to cost you less than say the whole paycheck vegan organic diet and when you look at the health benefits it's going to cost you a whole lot less and a whole lot less grief because you're going to be in that metabolically fit part and and you're not going to eat you're not going to eat nearly as much as you as you know it's just like it's kind of like odd because i've got all this food in my refrigerator and it's like you know i got to figure out when i'm going to eat it
0: yeah and honestly the best part is grocery shopping takes 10 minutes like you go in you're like okay like i need enough meat for what three days or something i know how much fruit i'm going to eat and that's kind of it it's like you don't have to go and like up and down every single aisle looking for certain things whatever it's like i go grocery shopping like i'm gonna get meat i don't need to get salt probably not i'm um, gonna okay. get some fruit and usually it's like whatever's on sale or seasonal and and that's kind of it like they when i'm in in utah there's a, a place called finney farms they just have like raw dairy products and oh, so wow. So I'll go there and I'll buy milk or cheese or something. So it's like, I I do make two stops, but it's like, in the end though, it's a super simple for grocery shopping. Cause like, I'm sure most people have better things to do than spend two hours at the grocery store or an hour trying to find things and whatever. It's like, you know, you're just going to have like eggs for breakfast. It's like, cool. It's easy. Like you just make eggs. Yeah, Like it's so simple.
1: Yeah. And as much as, as much as I like, you know, I'm not, I'm not in disagreement. for getting like grass fed beef and, and eggs from a farm and dairy from a farm. But when you look at it, when they put the meat and the produce and season on sale, and then eggs and dairy are just dirt cheap for what you're getting.
0: Yeah. Like, even if I buy like raw dairy, like, yeah, compared to like a normal gallon of milk, which is, I don't even know, like four or five bucks now, like, yeah, raw dairy costs double, but if you think about it per calorie, that's still really cheap. Like a gallon of milk here, that's raw is like 10 bucks. And so, yeah, that's way more expensive than, to say some like Walmart quality milk, but calorie wise though, that's like that's really really cheap, and then the amount of nutritional value you get from that is incredible.
1: Right. Well, and the thing is, is with OFM, uh, Derek, here's the way to use it: is use it after a workout. Mm-hmm. Have a glass of cold milk because one of the things about raw dairy is the IGF thing. That's one of the things a lot of people harp on the the, the health experts because people yeah. aren't very healthy. But when you're healthy like you are, if you have milk you don't have to have it like in a 30 minute window. It's just when you're ready to have something substantial, a cold glass of milk is like, is a superfood because, you know, think about it. Milk is what makes little animals grow big. And it's that it's yeah. the, it's the IGF in it that helps drive the protein, fat and carbohydrate that's in milk. It's called insulin like growth factor. Mm-hmm. And so for you, when you're in an anabolic state post-exercise, It's just like drives that, that not just the recovery, but the adaptation to get stronger and more robust. Whereas in a sedentary person, IGF is a problem because it can drive cell production from excess energy, which can drive cell mutation, which can drive cancer. So IGF gets a bad rap in the context of the the quote unquote unhealthy normal world. But in the context of somebody like you, oh man, it's like some of the best stuff out there. And I do that. I do that on occasion i'll stop at my friend randy's dairy after after a big run and get a couple glasses of of raw milk right out of the tank
0: that's awesome that's really cool yeah yeah cool man well it was fun talking to you about that ofm and diet and the arizona trail a little bit
1: yeah but what uh, before we end i mean i'm i want to inspire people like what your your goal isn't to do an fkt your 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 goal is really to 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 take in the experience for yourself but then also film it and share it with others is that correct
0: yeah so like i said before i tried to fkt it a couple times and had issues and it really like i I love the state of arizona a lot and the whole trails is super diverse and so i want to spend time on it while also pretty beautiful isn't it yeah it's really cool if you're up in the ponderosas for a large portion of day down the saguaros like the sky islands are just incredible and so i want to do it to experience it but also do it relatively quick. Like I don't want to spend two months doing it or something like that. Like I'm still going to put in miles every day, but I'm not going to be like, okay, I have to do 55 miles a day and set an FKT and sleep four hours a night. Like I want to have a good experience. And to me, like I love documenting things. Obviously it's my career as a filmmaker and stuff. So I want to tell a story and show things along the way, but also stay fit and, and healthy because it's it essentially would be part of my training it's basically a big base block. Um, as I train for other races throughout the end of the year and um, coming in next year, but it, it just has always kind of intrigued me, and I just wanted to do it. And if that means I put in a lot of miles one day and a little bit the next, like I'm totally okay with that. It's more about just having a good experience and and seeing the trail for what it is.
1: Yeah, you know, and and you're 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 what you're doing is really finding the balance, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, so I'm not going to be gonna... doing.
0: 10 miles a day nor am i doing 60 miles a day or something like it's right you might might
1: average about uh 30 between 25 and 35 miles a day type of thing where you're you're on your feet all day but you're you're getting plenty of rest you're getting plenty of time to take pictures and video and and if there's something particularly interesting you're gonna stop and and experience it um no, that's that's super. And and the the neat thing is, is this year has been a really fantastic monsoon season. So you should have some, the, the country should be pretty lush and particularly beautiful this year, shouldn't it?
0: Yeah. When I left Tucson, uh, my last run before I came up here to Utah, like it was just like a green jungle down there, which was wild. And it happened last year too, but then years prior, it's been really, really dry. And so it's cool to see that now everything's damp and growing, which is one end really cool also means there's a lot of bugs out um same thing up here in utah right now like I, i'm in my truck camper and there's flies and crap because this is it's been so wet and just dumping rain but um i was just stopped by the north rim of the grand canyon and it was just all day rain hail and everything is really really green and so it's incredible and so it's really cool like visually but then also it it's awesome that there'll be a little more water sources along the arizona trail which is generally kind of like the main issue. Like people do the AT or the PCT, and generally you have a fair amount of water. But on the AZT, that's always kind of the issue is okay, like what's running, what stock ponds are full, where can I I fill up? Um so not that it's gonna be like a jungle out there by any means, but it'll be a lot simpler um, relatively any ways to to get some sort of drinkable water on the way.
1: Yeah, but YouTube I'll film some great stuff because I've got a I've got a client in, in Sierra Vista. Mm-hmm down by fort Warchuca, in the picture she's posting yeah. on facebook i'm like wait a second this is arizona
0: yeah you know, <laughs> yeah it's yeah. like
1: this lush green deer out and it's like
0: uh-huh.
1: it's like what the heck's going on here and, and and to a point you know like this is this is this week was actually the start of what i call my fall running season because mm-hmm. my backyard is the high sierras and so i like to spend a lot of time running in the high sierras but i always wait till about the 22nd of august to do it because that's when the weather kind of shifts to where you don't have a the chance of a afternoon thunder uh cumulo thunderhead coming up and having lightning and rain and all that it gets gets to be a rare event whereas like in the weeks before that like june july or july and august are usually you're going to have something every day and then this year in august they had some you know the eastern slope and death valley had some pretty significant rainfall yeah washed that, out a
0: few roads out there
1: yeah well there's standing water in the death valley basins
0: yeah which is crazy
1: yeah yeah so you know this is the time when the weather gets really stable for me and and so i can go and do these all day runs in the sierras and it's just beautiful and that's why i like you know in a week from that a week from saturday i'm gonna Go do ray lakes loop and and do all that so i think that that's probably the weather pattern there for you is is, is the, the monsoon season is tapering off and then mm-hmm. you get this started it's gonna be like pretty ideal yeah so that's the plan i'm really excited i'm really excited for you to do this and and so you got people supporting you or how are you managing to get to your supplies or are you just going to carry a credit card and cash
0: yeah i'm going self-supported so I'm on my way up here from Tucson, I came up here for a work thing like a week or so ago and decided to stay. I didn't want to drive home and drive back. And so I, I stopped along the way and dropped some food caches off. There's a, like if, there's various um, like bear boxes along the way, um, so you can drop food and water in them and stuff. And usually water is the most common thing in them. But um, so I dumped off some food and some water. And then there's a few like resupply towns along the way too, like like Patagonia and Flagstaff and stuff. So I've shipped some things there. I'm going to stop at some grocery stores on the way. So it's kind of a mixture of things. And then I have a couple of friends helping me out as far as dropping me off and picking me up at the start and end. But for the most part, it's self-supported. So and like I said, I'm not going for any sort of FKT. So if I, if I see random friends out there and they want to come along the way or whatever, totally cool with that. So
1: I it's dude, not I like... Wish I, I wish I could come down and spend a couple of days on the trail with you.
0: Yeah, why you don't live closer i just
1: got but my my dance card with work is just chock full and i got to make it happen
0: yeah it's understandable
1: because because you know like it's interesting to, to close but it seems in the last six months almost all the resistance the skepticism about bad adaptation has disappeared mm-hmm. you know all the high carb people used to just be very vocal about um you know creating doubt or trashing it or ridiculing it or whatever that's just kind of disappeared in the last six months to a year and and i'm like oh i better get on it because everybody's going to want to copy you know all this work i've done since 2000 you know i've been tinkering away at this and and you know helping people like zach and peter and jeff get get those results that they're seeing and and um so i've got to kind of get get with the program here and kind of get get some of the stuff we're trying to do done so we can kind of help a lot of other people realize their potential and and i think your your um your the video that you're going to come out of this is going to be we're going to really try to push this so that we can inspire people you me other people can inspire people to 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 live out their dreams you know to to actually you know do the kind of things that are possible and you know as you know fat adaptation really helps make that a whole lot more achievable
0: yeah 100 so well cool let's let's wrap it up then i gotta i got some stuff to do today i know you're you're a busy guy yeah, so. i've
1: got i've got stuff myself so cool
0: cool awesome well it was fun talking to you peter and um yeah we'll, we'll talk soon